This is UNS Talks, a podcast by the architecture and design firm UN Studio. What is around the corner for the architectural profession? Or rather, how much does the role of the architect need to change before it becomes completely unrecognisable? What does this mean for the young architects and for students? Furthermore, should we be designing places of work at all, considering we can only speculate about how we will work tomorrow? Welcome to the fourth industrial revolution where methods of producing value are completely up in the air and uncertainty reigns supreme. I'm Steve O'Reilly and I sat with Ben van Berkel, the founder and principal architect of UN Studio, as well as with associate director Marianti Tatari and with Harlan Miller, who is an associate and senior design architect here at UN Studio, to see whether this uncertainty is justified. Together, we discuss what's in store for the future workplace, how to design for this shifting world of work, digital disruptions to our own working processes and how these developments could alter the role of the architect altogether. Enjoy. So thank you all very much indeed for joining me. To start off with, on a typological level, what is changing in the world of work and what do clients now expect from a workplace design? Um, uh, nowadays, uh, we are, um, I mean, we have been wor- designing workplaces since a while. Uh, uh, you see, and as UN Studio, we were always focusing on how people come together. Uh, and this is something I think we were imposing to our clients, that people should meet, should come together in the IBG building, and we should have these communal spaces. Uh, right now, uh, because the future of work and the discussion about how people uh, work, uh, how people are healthy, how people are happy at work, uh, this also comes from uh, from our clients as well. So there is a very big request on um, instead of asking for a building, you are asking for a community. So then we have to go uh, back a bit into uh, what the campus is, what is a, a bit of an archety- archetypical discussion to see w- what makes a community, how people come together. And then, of course, uh, everything that has to relate to the efficiency and the sustainability of the workspace itself, uh, it is considered given right now. So we, uh, we, we really um, work a lot with uh, connecting people and uh, bring, bringing opportunities for people to just, uh, not also as a, in a planned way to come together, let's say in an event or in an auditorium, but also this is what we call a chance encounters, like to have the opportunity of people to just bump onto each other and people also from different kind of uh, fields within uh, practice. Considering that we can only speculate or make educated assumptions about how we are going to work in the future, what can we imagine, what do we imagine the future workplace typology, the future workplace is going to look like, and how can we design for this future imagined employee? But maybe the future uh, will not uh, um, have uh, for you the the office environment as where you thought of uh, so five or ten years ago mm. it's going to be much more a place to be mm. a place you like to be and, and a place where maybe the production of work is not so key anymore but innovation is going to be more important mm. yeah. but we had also discussion about uh, companies that are picking up like uh, booking yeah. um, that uh, th- uh, the employees don't do all the same thing, you know. Uh, if you are working in tech, uh, you have a different setup than if you're working on uh, um, sales or in uh, real estate, human resources. So, 
the question there comes, uh, and I can imagine in a lot of companies very different ways of doing things. Uh, like uh, when we cre when we create and we plan this density in the different departments, uh, it's also a good question: how much do you design in a generic way so that departments can change, and how much you make it specific for the requests of the people that uh, uh, yeah will work there. Because I suppose you also have to make it flexible for future use as well. Yeah, exactly. So then there's always this debate and I, this is where the relationship with the people that will use the space is very important. Mm -hmm. Let's say um, employees, different groups of employees, so you get uh, an understanding of how they will uh, use it. Talk to me a bit about these third spaces between the work and office. We discussed this a lot here in the studio. The cafes and libraries that are now replacing that have become places of work. Are these inspirations for workplace designs that we're currently undertaking, or are they now competitors? We've noticed with, with um, our clients is that they, yeah, they don't talk about an uh, office building anymore. They talk about a campus model. They want to have uh, these breakout spaces. Cafes are there to, to work, but that's only to do with the fact that, uh, that, they, that that it is known that in these environments that that it is not so that you are then less productive. Mm. That is what what you what you probably also know that it is so fascinating today that that people are sometimes in an area where you know in, a, in the surroundings of an airport uh, are even even as productive as when they are in the work environment, yeah. if, you, if you need to work on your own, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's always good to check uh, our ideas uh, with, of course, uh, uh, what is specifically happening and what is requested, and also uh, to, to think always of the human uh, angle of the person that is working there, and is also maybe not always excited to use the stairs yeah. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or chat uh, all, all the time. So we have to plan for the, yeah, for the introverts and the extroverts and the, uh, yeah, for, for, for everyone, the space should be for everyone uh, there. I think it's also kind of ironic that um, nowadays we're starting to appreciate working in public a little bit more in these social spaces like cafes and out in the open. And there was always this kind of mindset that we had to be put in cubicles in order to work. And I, I think that the mindset that we can work in public now is actually coming coincidentally at the same time that we're appreciating a virtual public space as well, like social media and things like that, and Facebook, you know, and being online all the time and sharing ideas there. And so it, it's, it's ironic that the virtual space is actually informing the attitude or the mindset of the physical space too. Mm -hmm. and, and there's more of that kind of uh, blending that's happening too. So. When we're designing an office building versus an educational building or a master plan, do, do we define any difference between the two or are they both very similarly aligned now because these are both kind of campus models where knowledge is created and produced? I think the difference is uh, uh, not so much about um, organization of the shared spaces, maybe because lifestyle is coming in both. Mm. Um, both want to keep students or uh, employees within their campus so that uh, the knowledge exchange is happening. Uh, the difference probably is on the requirements of the workplace or the student studio spaces or so let's say when you start becoming very specific but uh, probably as a master plan um, if you think in a master plan of a campus it could also be organized uh, in a similar way. Mm. 
But I think, yes, we, you're totally right there, okay, is that, that we have learned a lot from, like, uh, for instance, the university project we did in, uh, in, uh, in Singapore, mm -hmm. whereby we said that today is much better to look at how we can make uh, the buildings more closer to each other, uh, that you think of the way how knowledge can be shared a bit better. Um, and, and not for nothing, uh, new buildings uh, or tech companies uh, work with this campus model because they've learned also from these ideas uh, related to university uh, campus uh, structures. Mm -hmm. um, mm, to create an, yeah, an environment what is maybe related to the idea that you, you come in a place where you can learn, where you can feel better after a year because you have learned so much about things you didn't know before after university, etc. So, so have we talk also about that in our own office here as well. Mm. Uh, uh, maybe Harlan, you, you talk often about that we have our own academy. Mm. Yeah, we're an yeah. extension of the university aspect. Yeah. Mm. But, I th but I think as we, uh, as the digital technology in our, in our humanized workforce starts to kind of uh, push to the next level, we're realizing that all the skill sets from multiple different professions are starting to homogenize. And it means that the physical spaces in which we learn those skill sets can actually be more similar as well. And so, um, you know, the role of the architect, we learn so many uh, fascinating skills that it can actually transcend all different kinds of fields and all different kinds of uh, professions too. So I think it's, it's becoming more uh, interchangeable. You can walk into uh, a corporate uh, office that does real estate development and see that they have the same physical setup as, let's say, a chair design company. And, yeah. uh, uh, just for the, the idea that they're generally working with a lot of the same digital tools, they're doing a lot of the same digital processes, and, uh, and so that's kind of a, yeah. it's a nice thing to see. Yeah. Uh, ben, if I can ask you a, a question specifically. Across the 30-year span of you in studio, you know, starting, started off just at the cusp of computational design compared with where we are now, where we use virtual reality to collaborate. In terms of the role of the profession and the daily workflow of the architect, that must have been a very, a very big leap. <coughs> well, of course, I mean, I, I have always liked uh, to think of the role of the architect because uh, maybe it's related also to my own interest in the, in the profession in general. You know, what do we change in the, in the profession as an architect and how is our profession changing? Um, if I compare the way how we worked so 20 to 30 years ago, uh, it's so unbelievably different. Um, I remember the clients came to me on, on my kitchen table and saying, Ben, can you do this project? And um, if the contract, you know, you, you know, the first meeting was already showing a potential contract. And uh, could you sign it some at the end of the week? And uh, could you start uh, Monday? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and that was a meeting I had with an individual. Now, today, when you, you talk about a project, then, then you have already 10 people on the table yeah. uh, from the client side and often also from our own side. We, we, because, I mean, clients like to work with specialists. We like to work with specialists. We know that if it is a single-oriented process, this, this way of how architects operate, like we did before, in a more linear manner, uh, going from a sketch to a preliminary design and definite design, that, that is still the model we work in. But, I mean, the process around it is totally different organized. Mm. And, 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 uh, and it means that uh, 
Uh, and that's for that reason we wrote all these books about the, the role of the architect and, and particularly the way how processes changed around this role of the architect from the books of MOVE and um, mobile forces, uh, but also uh, Knowledge Matters, for instance, particularly Knowledge Matters is the latest book whereby we talk about how important it is to bring in the right manner knowledge together. So you, as an architect, need to network much more cleverly uh, around the way how you uh, group information um, and and make sure that you select the right amount of information when you pull it into the design. Uh, because if you, yeah, my, my argument has been always you can't really, with all the advisors and um, people you have in the room who design with, with you, you cannot put 22 ambitions into one project. <laughs> you need to select maybe three in order to make it uh, quite quite powerful. But 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 still that you that you then work with the ideas around technology or the way where buildings can go to in the future or new materials. Or, um, uh, now now there are so many new things like uh, not only the advisors you have to work with but also the requirements uh, clients ask. You know, I mean, today you have to have a building finished in a year time, but it's, uh, you know, maybe, uh, I don't want to say 350 meters high, <laughs> or, or, or like the building uh, we do in uh, Dubai, but, but, but um, the, the requirements are, are lately unbelievable. Yeah. And, and for that reason, you have to also develop new techniques for that. Yeah, and new structures within the office as well. So. Yeah, new working methods and new yeah. ways of working. Yeah. And it, and it really brings, I mean, we can talk about it for another hour, yeah. but, but it really means that you have to have also a lot of people in the office who can be powerful leaders yeah. themselves. You, you have not a linear architect uh, now anymore today who stands in, in, in front of the orchestra and say, saying, you know, you guys have to do this or that. No, you have to all work together in order to develop that leadership. Mm. And Harlan, you were uh, yeah, playing a role in human resources. I mean, w looking towards more the, the younger demographic of, of new architects coming into the profession, do you have any advice for them? Are, are you seeing particular trends of uh, applicants who have such a skill that's maybe irrelevant or that they should develop certain skills? Yeah, I mean, um, over the years, as I started uh, working with human resource development, I, I started noticing certain trends and it, and it got me looking back to the past too and it made me realize that I myself am kind of a byproduct of a, of a certain educational shift that happened, and I think it happened around 2008. And I always kind of tell the story uh, while I lecture too, is that in 2008 I was working at a corporate office in downtown Atlanta with about 500 people in it, and uh, I decided to go back to grad school, so I packed all my stuff up in my Jeep and moved across the country to LA. And when I got to LA, to UCLA, I called back to one of my friends back home, and the housing market had just crashed, and one in four of my friends had actually been laid off from the, the office that we were working at. And I think that that uh, kind of created a fundamental shift when the economy kind of, uh, the global economy crashed in 2008. Uh, what happened was educational systems did a really good job at uh, readapting their curriculum to kind of uh, show young architects how to survive beyond the profession and started actually injecting other uh, valuable skill sets from other different creative industries. And I think that that was a really smart thing done by a lot of the professors, uh, some of my old professors and Ben's friends, uh, Greg Lynn and, and different people. Um, but what wound up happening was you have a young generation of professionals now that um, don't quite 
or, or haven't quite learned exactly the specifics of the profession of architecture and what they might be moving into. And so I myself, when I started UN Studio, I was very fortunate. Uh, I think one of the first projects Ben gave me was a Ferris wheel when I first came into the office. And I had never been given a Ferris wheel typology before. Uh, and and that, that kind of shows you, yeah, it kind of shows you a little bit of um, how if you want to utilize the skills that I think a lot of academic uh, institutions are actually teaching young people right now, find the offices that let you embrace those kinds of uh, uh, multidisciplinary kind of uh, projects too. And they're out there, um, you know, few and far between, but uh, I, I think there's really good places. And I think more offices are starting to uh, come around to kind of uh, starting their own research hubs and things. So I think all the skill sets that you learn in school are becoming valuable. And, uh, and, and young professionals should remain positive that those skill sets that they are learning in school are actually applicable in the real world uh, on a really uh, high level. So I think that there's a positivity to that too. I think it's, it's always our psychological approach to kind of come into something with a dystopian view, but you have to remain positive and treat it a little bit more optimistically too. So. Yeah. It's, it's true, uh, because I often say after these 30 years we have now uh, worked all together and luckily enough along, we all stayed long in the company in order to, to stay in a way friends, as I said in the beginning, because, because we enjoy to work together. But, but the more and longer you are in the profession, you learn how you still can learn so much. That is so shocking. Yeah. I would say that you, you, I mean, I would say that we, especially with this whole new technology, what is coming up right now, we are in, we are at the doorsteps of, uh, of a whole new era of, of where design will definitely have a radical change in, in, the, in the future. And what, what then also will again change the role of the architect. Mm, so, that's one thing, but, but, but the other thing is that maybe there we have to also think a little bit more about yeah, what kind of responsibility do you have as an architect, because the closer you come to the experiential quality of architecture and the way how you can measure what people do in a building and what they experience and, what, what, and how it is related to health, for instance, the health of, of, of the building, and, and of course people then then you have uh, suddenly an enormous uh, responsibility. Uh, architects before talked like Le Corbusier, Aldo van Eyck, Herman Hetzbergen. These were architects who were always talking about mm, uh, the social qualities of uh, the environment. But in that time they didn't have the, the technology to measure it, to really gear it and to organize it in a way whereby it was giving them very powerful operational ideas. They, they, they I mean, they, they worked with quite interesting new organizational types of social interaction, who could play, take place in these buildings. But today you can uh, have uh, so much more opportunity to test these ideas because you have the technology. Mm -hmm. But it means that you have a whole new responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the human behavioral aspect of design is actually uh, one of the most intense uh, and, and important things we have to deal with in the future, for instance. How has technology, and I suppose by that I mean digital technology, how has it had an influence over the role of the architect? Mm, yeah, it is definitely having an, uh, an influence. You could say that, that 
you know, as, as we designed before with um, the rotary pen and then later with the computer and then later more even with uh, artificial intelligence in the way how you um, now today can measure buildings and that you can even control that also as an architect in order to make sure that it is really sustainable so that you can learn from the way how a building is made sustainable after four or five years. Um, that is that is having a major influence on the role of uh, also the work environment because if you know how many people go to um, these breakout spaces where we talk about who are the ones who like to work on their own, um, what kind of uh, clockwise activities people do in these buildings. So better understanding of better the underst work Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we as designers need to be aware of these new techniques uh, in order to design with that. Well, that's that's also plays into that I ironic kind of uh, way in which technology has helped us become more uh, psychologically and emotionally sensitive. And, and, and that kind of has like a little bit of an inverse effect where you wouldn't imagine uh, working with digital technology would make you more psychologically or emotionally sensitive to the, the individuals that are occupying your building and things. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's a weird uh, juxtaposition between those two things uh, that I think is, uh, it's similar to kind of social media or uh, virtual space kind of opening up uh, or informing physical space as well too, so it's kind of. But I think that uh, what is very important also about the trained ju judgment, right? Because we have this overflow of technology and the possibilities what we can do and also what we can imagine. But uh, what is very important as a designer is uh, to help uh, clients and also uh, in, in the design process, but also in the operation, how to organize this uh, flow of data, how to... Um, uh, a lot of times we hear that we put all these sensors in our building and we don't know what to do with them. Uh, and then uh, there we can also find the ideas that uh, of course help the uh, daily life of the employees, but also maybe create also surprise moments, create a kind of uh, uh, a comfort or a kind of what we call it uh, frictionless way of working. Uh, that it's not only about um, uh, checking boxes of uh, uh, you know uh, what makes a good workplace, but more about how uh, from work to life uh, you can flow you can flow smoothly in your daily life. So there, I think as designers, and also uh, we can um, maybe in a, also in an ethic way uh, inform and design but also in a, yeah, in a kind of experiential way. Because I think that the, the way people experience the space, even if it's technical or if, if it's a kind of virtual or physical, is, the, is what we are here for, <laughs> right? To, to find this uh, way. Yeah, the checking of the boxes is a good one. Because that means that, that, that often people think, yeah, if you work with technology in the work environment, then Mm, then, then maybe uh, you have to check how efficient people work and can we improve the efficiency, etc. But that is not, yeah, exactly not what what we think is important to work with in the in in the work environment uh, when you work with smart uh, in brackets technology because uh, smart technology, as we know, as we say, is not really clearly defined. You you need to define much better what you can do with technology in order to improve the experiential. I agree with that. And, and make uh, the work environment much healthier. Okay, final question. 
And unfortunately, yes, it is a bit dystopian with everything that's happening now with AI and with the role of AI in design becoming more and more important and prominent. What will the role of the architect, will the role of the architect rather, will it be outsourced to a computer? Or will there always be a role for an architect for, that has empathy you know, with human touch and with bringing people together? We said we are optimists here. We are, <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that it's uh, what we discussed about this uh, train judgment. Of course, things will be more automated, and they, and they are now uh, comparing to 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, there is an incredible value that is brought by the people that are uh, uh, having the experience, but also the people that are graduating with the new skills and bringing them together. Uh, and you need these places, uh, uh, like our office, that uh, uh, these skills are nurtured and uh, can be also streamlined in different ways that uh, we don't know now. As we said, who would know that uh, five years ago that we would have a futurist in our uh, team? And we yeah. do have uh, speculative yeah. designers. So we are, we are growing and adjusting. And uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is very important from the point of view that you should not be rigid. But as long as you are flexible and uh, able to uh, adapt, and I think this is uh, uh, great to the thinking also of Ben, that uh, he's uh, leading us also to this kind of very, uh, yeah, not research-oriented, but also kind of, um, uh, yeah, what is the next step? How are we going to work in the future? How is the, is the future going to work for <laughs> for itself, right. for us? Yeah. Uh, uh, you have to be s smart and uh, entrepreneurial, but also kind of true to your beliefs. So, yeah, I am from the optimist side. I don't know the rest. <laughs> no, me too. And and uh, and I I agree with 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 the fact that we shouldn't be so worried about. Um, that our profession will be minimalized. Actually, I see an opposite uh, uh, tendency going around in the sense that there was a time when architects were asked in the 90s uh, where we, uh, we had clients who uh, sometimes had already every plan of the building finished because they had uh, done so much research done for, for the way how the efficiency of the of the floor plan could work with the facade and you know I mean we were getting finished buildings uh, drawn by engineers and then we had to only collect a, a design of a facade towards uh, this this uh, building and and that was really for years uh, the case that we had to do that that yeah. type of work and today what is really interesting is because we control again in, uh, with new concepts of control I, I would say I mean we used to have another kind of role as an architect maybe some in the Renaissance or in the Baroque period or even later a bit, we had there a more kind of uh, mastermind role, uh, yeah. you would say, but we lost that for a long time. Uh, but I, I think in a way it's coming back because we are having much better insight in the way what these techniques can do towards the articulation of architecture, the experience of architecture. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and, and so, so if, you, if you are good with new techniques, even with AI, I do believe that it will improve the performance of buildings, and and that's a whole new thing. I mean, you know, who knew knew that we would ever design performances in buildings? And then I'm talking about the performance of the building related to how the operational qualities of the sustainability, air, 
light, uh, even the way how people possibly uh, like the building over yeah. time, you know, that you can start to measure these things. So, so, so uh, you know, self-learning, that you have a self-learning system design mm. in the design, but it's part of the, yeah, of, of, of call it the software side of the building. Mm. And, and that's, that's already happening. And, and I think if, you, if we are able to control that, then we are also asked by clients to work with it. But of course, then you, but you, um, we are never saying here that we will uh, have um, a no role for the architect there anymore. Because I mean, like I said, you need to still edit that information and guide it. Yeah. Yeah. And discipline it, sorry, discipline it is the most important. Mm -hmm. I, I think... Uh, I mean, I, I remain optimistic and I, uh, I always I, I try to talk to as many of the researchers that are doing a lot of the AI research as possible and see what's going on out there and, and feel it out. Um, but I, I will say that it is the architect's role to kind of uh, do what Ben just mentioned and actually veer on the side of caution too. Um, whereas we are a very slow moving profession and the profession of architecture, I think Ben, you've mentioned this a couple of times about our, the building industry being in the Walkman phase. Uh, versus the iPad fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we need to veer on the side of caution in terms of uh, the rules that we build into the technology that we use and the, uh, the inherent coding and the systemic kind of biasness that can actually be built into certain things. And um, you don't want there to kind of be a, a runaway train scenario where uh, you know, things have kind of lost a little bit of control because you didn't uh, put checks and balances along the way on how you develop certain things. Right. And so I think that that kind of is the new role of the architect is to look at those certain variables along the way. Not always just, you know, push full forward as fast as you possibly can, but also take time to strategically stop, take a break, think a little bit more deeply about things. Um, because I think it, it plays right into how young professionals come into the workforce too. They sometimes think that uh, the next best thing needs to be faster, better, uh, it needs to come tomorrow, and it, and it winds up pushing a little bit of this uh, cultural attention deficit disorder on us. And I think we do need to slow down a little bit when it comes to architecture. We're slow. We're the tortoises of the creative design profession. So. And that's all for this edition of UNS Talks. To sign off, be sure to check out our recently published Future of Work report, where we speak with our urban design team about how the changing world of work is influencing urban design, where our knowledge and product team bring together their recently published research on health in the workplace, where our futures team explores the third space between work and home, and finally, of course, where we show some architectural examples of how we envision the future of work. And in the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, or your preferred podcast provider. See you next time.